You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you so much for checking out the show. Not too much going on this week. Just been rehearsing with Bad Wolves Boys, working on these tunes, which has been a lot of fun. Been a lot of fun. And I don't know, I was trying to think about what to talk about this week in my monologue. And I was thinking maybe I'll talk a little bit about politics. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good thing. I've kind of gone out of my way not to talk about a lot of this stuff because, you know, the Trump era was just so fraught, you know, and it was just, it felt so top of mind, like you couldn't not talk about it. It's not just me. I think that kind of took off, took over pop culture to some degree. And I would say I I voted for Joe Biden so I could ignore the president, (laughs) which is something we used to be able to do. It's like George H.W. Bush. He was the OG you could ignore the president guy. Uh, not that I was that politically active as a as a as a young young person. Uh, not at all, really. Not at all. But I don't know. I it's I have this different relationship now because I don't want to make these spaces divisive. But you kind of have to ride this line between wanting to express yourself, but then also decide if you want to be someone who is kind of constantly in some kind of conflict because that's the whole point I I was I suppose about whether speaking on here or on social media is that you you know action reaction uh and you and people respond I've gotten not really messages I've gotten more like there's if you go on Apple podcasts you'll see some reviews about about political stuff that you know I turn people off for whatever reason uh, it's only a handful, but still, it it bums me out because I I, I try to just kind of keep that balance. Anyway, all all that saying, I I kind of follow things from a little bit of a distance right now because I kind of think when let's say the the your side or the person you like is out of power, I think you tend to be more activated and you're going to be things are going to seem worse, right? So you're going to be more reactive and more angry and more maybe conspiratorial or kind of invested. And then when that isn't, maybe the opposite happens. You kind of recede and then the other people are a little bit louder. So I kind of, I, I get that experience to some degree, uh, kind of seeing what other people are saying and see how other people are pissed off that maybe dis- disagree with me in a way. And it's not that 
I think just in general, I think the way I've kind of kept sane with all this stuff is, is to kind of embrace more apathy, which is kind of ironic because I felt like if you go back to the Iraq war times, Iraq war two, um, with George W. Bush, I feel like that was the biggest problem with society at large was there was too much apathy. People were not connected enough to some of these problems. And now I think the opposite is true. I think people are overly invested. And I did this uh, tweet about how the uh, the only schadenfreude I, I probably enjoy is that Biden seems to equally piss off the far right and the far left, but for completely opposite reasons. <laughs> Whereas like the left thinks he's Trump too and the right thinks he's, you know, Che Guevara or something. <laughs> so it's like these completely different distorted uh, versions of reality. It's not that I'm completely center. I'm definitely probably center left, but I can, I don't know, I just tend to look at these things. Every time there's some of these big issues, it's even if I have a viewpoint, I, I, I try and go, you know, they're making a point. I don't have to agree with their entire premise, but 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 they but they make a point, you know, and, and so sometimes it's what tracks really well these days is just having a very strong partisan perspective. Here are the good guys. Here are the bad guys. That tracks. Just saying, so this person is evil. Here's why. You get a bunch of fucking get a bunch of likes and retweets on those. Um, and and usually I just think the real truth of things is way more nuanced, but righteousness works, man. And it's funny. I, I would say I'd probably have a more, I guess, chaotic social media experience um, if I kind of took that pose. Uh, but I probably have a lot more followers of one ilk. Uh, <laughs> but. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is if I'm playing it's too safe to be, to not piss off these people or, or that kind of thing, you know, um, I wonder, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I have to be a little more bold, but I'm, I'm just sick with, of arguing with people. I almost feel like it's just not fucking worth it anymore. Yeah. So, and I was, I was thinking, I was like, so if I was to give, cause I guess the general view, right is that, you know, Biden's not very popular right now, right? I mean, I think his approval is like 40-something percent or whatever. And I was like, and if you really think about it, I'm like, yeah, that 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 pretty much tracks, right? It's really three things, right? He was doing pretty good to Afghanistan, right? People didn't like that. Even though I, think, I thought the policy was good, but the execution was really bad. But bad optics, bad politics. And then you have inflation slash gas prices up, that people feel that, and they, that, you know, people tend to blame the president for that. And then... Now we're on our second uh, big variant causing COVID stuff to kind of go up. So they haven't really solved that big problem, which was their number one priority. So on those, those measures, I, I, I think you could say, yeah, they've, uh, you know, the administration has struggled and they, they deserve their low rating. But I think that's actually a good thing, right? Like we don't want the public to just, that's my person and everything they do is great. That, you know, and that's the person I don't like. So everything I do is bad. Like you actually want the approval to skew with the kind of the, the the state of things. But we got a lot of time, right? Hopefully they can turn around some of these things. And maybe this this uh, Omicron is 
fast rising and really shitty, but maybe it'll be fast. You know, it seems to look like the data says it'll it'll kind of shoot down pretty soon as well. Uh, and, you know, hopefully some of this uh, inflation stuff kind of starts to stabilize at, at some point. And that would be that would be helpful. But you got to look in kind of the long, long term with these things. But I kind of love with Biden. He's like an old school centrist, whereas like everyone kind of hates him. Like no one's psyched about Joe Biden, which I think is hilarious. You know, like if you saw someone in a Joe Biden shirt, I was like, you f-, and they were under 50. You're just like, Yo, you're a fucking nerd. <laughs> Take that shirt off. Like, I just love having a old ass, boring present that no one really likes. <laughs> I just think that shit is mad funny. Like, you know, people are like, they're cool. They're like, yeah, man, he's cool. Yeah, no, no one's doing excited about him. I, I like that. I'm so, 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 yeah, Obama, people too happy. These people too mad. Trump, these people too happy. These people too mad. I want a nice, lukewarm motherfucker. Just a, just a, just a dry bowl of kind of warm oatmeal. Oh, I think it's great. I think it's great. You know, I'm telling you, appreciate a boring president, man, because exciting was not that fun. So uh, that, I guess that's that's my grade. It doesn't mean he's doing a good job. <laughs> I don't really know. Maybe, but in many ways, probably not. But I just think it's funny. So, all right, that that, that, that was my political rant. There you go. Lots, lots of fun. I try, I'm trying to keep it light, you know, kind of bring the stuff up. I didn't really know what to talk about, so... There you go. There's my uh, kind of paying attention, seeing what's going on, and not getting involved in the dumbass culture wars because I, I don't got time for that shit. I really don't. Even though it's good for clicks, right? Good for clicks. Maybe I'll start doing a little more topical stuff, but then I have to start paying attention full on and reading everything. And I, I'm keeping up. I'm just not. I'm not making it my life. Okay. Got other things to worry about. We have a show sponsor this week. You like that transition? This man. Solo artist named Kyle Ewers. This is, I want to say his third or fourth time sponsoring the show. One of the biggest supporters. Got to give him all the love. And he's an instrumental solo artist. We're going to play a brand new song entitled Monster Zero.
So that was Kyle Ewers with his brand new single called Monster Zero. And as he accurately described, it brings the heavy. I enjoyed that song. It was a lot of fun. I actually like that. We like that bass tone he had in that bridge. I was feeling that. It was, I, was, I was very heavy in the little crunchy part at the end. Nice production, brother. Good job. And this song was inspired by uh, the kaiju films from Toho. Is that the name of the filmmaker? I got. I got. I got to look look this up. And uh, as you can hear, it showcases some of the fastest and most aggressive riffs Kyle has produced, all while keeping the melody and rhythm sections dynamic, and they maintain a lead role. Uh, so, how you spell his name? Ewers. It's E W E R S. Kyle Ewers. And you know, you can check out this along with the other songs he played. I played on this show. Uh, on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you stream music. And he will be releasing more songs in 2022, including some cover collabor- and cover song collaborations. And he's going to be doing some live shows. So that'll be great to check out. And if you want to see about those live shows and those new songs, his social media is Kyle Ewers Music or at Kyle Ewers Music. Or you can go to KyleEwersMusic.com. Send him a message. Tell him Doc Cole sent you th- and thank him. You know, as, as I should thank you. Thank you, Kyle. You are the man. I do not deserve the support, but I'm glad I can, I can give your music a platform. It's really amazing. If you'd like to sponsor the show, shoot me an email at the xmanpodcast at gmail.com. We just had God Size Records bought out a big block, but we'll try and fit you in. We're going we're to do what we can do. Uh, but yeah, the show's doing well. It's, it's, it's doing well, so it's popular right now, but we'll make it work for you. Anyway, we do have... One of the most monumental guests this show has ever had, and I'm I'm just amazed I was able to to do this. Yes, we have John Petrucci coming up, one of the most renowned and impactful and influential and important guitar players, really of his generation. In the last, we'll be going on 20, 30 years of metal, big influence on me. I'm a huge Dream Theater fan. And I use a bunch of his gear. I talk about a lot of this in the interview. And yeah, this is just, it was an absolute treat. And I and I wanted to make sure I, I approached the conversation with as, I guess, many angles that were interesting to me. And hopefully it will be interesting to you. So this is really someone I would say uh, needs no introduction, despite, despite my preamble, but I'm just I'm just really excited about this and I feel really lucky to be in the position to speak with someone like John. So it was an absolute pleasure and an honor. So please check out this conversation with the legendary Mr. John Petrucci. Here we are now. Wait, but I I had a better reveal. I ruined. Wait, hold on a second. Stand by. <laughs> We got a background? What are we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I had this all set. I don't know what happened here. Oh, see, I thought, I thought the see. black background was a vibe you are going for. Nah, nah. This, see, this <laughs> is going to be the vibe. All right. We better be this... in space or I'm going to be so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well. Narnia? Give me somewhere, all right? Tatooine? Hey! There we go. I'm, oh. uh, I'm in our album cover. I can see that. You know what I'm saying? There I don't know whose go. dirty ass boots those are, but we need to talk about that. <laughs> those are my boots. <laughs> there you go. See, well-worn, you know? Um, right. I know you're in shape. I know you're working out. I know you were like hiking like that up, up on the mountains and stuff. I, I love it. 
Right, exactly. Well, so I don't know if you, I don't know if you can see. You see the little. This is obviously our album cover, but I didn't realize that this was actually a actual place in Norway. Really? Uh, yeah, that has this rock formation. It's like this that people go to and check out. It's pretty insane. Well, as you know, you know, touring, you, we we all tour, and then you think you get to see stuff, but you don't really get to see that much stuff. No. So, no. so like. Before the pandemic, me and my girlfriend would go on some trips to Europe and actually get to see the places that I don't really get to see. But Norway is on the list. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, it's it's funny because, like you said, you you do so much traveling as a touring musician, but you don't travel in the way that you would if you were on vacation or with your wife or your family. And you know, maybe every so often, like on a day off, if you're in a cool spot, you will see like you know, the cool things, but it's, it's just not the same. Like I've never seen anything like this in Norway. I've been to Norway a million times. Well, the, um, I've had the, the bad fortune of every time I go to Scandinavia, it's winter time. And apparently yeah. it's very beautiful yeah. in the summertime. Yeah. And I just never get to see it, but either way, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. This, uh, this is a real treat for me. Uh, I've, I've been a massive fan since I was in high school. Oh, I had you. the rock, discipline yeah uh <laughs> i i didn't get very far <laughs> no huh <laughs> but you didn't get past the stretching huh <laughs> no i got no it's it well it's it's funny like the the one i remember the ones like kind of major string skipping yeah thing, like doing like i still use that to this day Perfect. so like uh so there's there's there there are some things but I, I think i hit a rut but um you know but you've been uh you know kind of a fixture in my life as as a guitar player and a musician so for me this is definitely uh really really awesome so thank you so much just for taking your time and being here you're very welcome yeah glad to join you well cheers and uh and you know congratulations on the new album and the grammy nomination you must be flying high a little bit i would think yeah it's exciting <laughs> stuff you know it it's um first of all j just putting an album out in general is exciting yeah you know it's it's something you work hard on and hopefully you're proud of and then you get it out there and it's just all it's so all encompassing between music and production and artwork and it's just just great to get it out but the grammy thing is fun too because you know we we received two in the past and and uh the the first one that we got was just real you know such a shocker because we're you know we're essentially we're a prog metal band from long island you know it doesn't fit into that mold so it was just kind of nice to get a different type of recognition uh recognition uh amongst you know different circles of people and it, it's more of mainstream kind of recognition where you know the butcher in your town knows that you got nominated <laughs> whereas a lot of what we do is very sort of uh esoteric in its own little you know field bubble the grammy things is kind of a larger thing so to get that again this time um you brought back those same feelings and you know it's nice it's definitely nice well i for one am, am pulling for you um uh, i think a lot of times i equate the grammys a little bit to like the oscars where sure usually you don't get it when you deserve it you get it like it's like a lifetime achievement and i mean all you guys have done i think you are you are, are, are well deserving but um with that said i mean the new album is really incredible um i had a good good fortune to listen to it recently nice and the thing that that struck me about it is 
just the consist consistency of of the band. I think it's so hard, and we've we've probably seen this with bands we're fans of, right? Where yeah. the band falls off, or they they seem like they're not quite as engaged or right. inspired. Um, what keeps everyone connected to kind of like the core, I guess, idea and and that keeps it feeling so fresh? Like it doesn't feel like. It's your what thirteenth record, whatever right, crazy right. amount of record. It, it feels very vibrant and as you were twenty years ago, my opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, I I totally know what you're talking about with other artists that you know maybe you loved and respected, and you see some sort of change or decline or something. You know, I personally I don't get that at all. I have to admit, <laughs> I don't know if that sounds uh, pompous or anything, but like I always feel like is there any other way to do something than to do it in a way, which is the best that you could possibly do it? You know, to if you're still doing the thing that you love, hopefully, and you still have the opportunity and the ability to do it, like, you know, you got to do it the best that you could do, which means, you know, trying to top what you did before, trying to take advantage of new technologies and gear and recording methods or whatever, or, or personnel. Um, and just engaging that creative part in your, in your brain, which we all just, which brings us together. I mean, as musicians and writers, that's what we love to do. So, you know, to me, it's kind of a really bizarre, uh, phenomenon, you know, to, to do something and have it be half-assed or like people say, you know, phoned in or whatever. It's like, I am, I will never do that with anything that I do. And the other guys are like-minded. So that's what helps. And, you know, I, I think about, you know, I'm a big fan of the, the big companies that do things right all the time where you just know when they put something out, it's going to be like great, yeah. you know, whatever. If, it, if it's Walt Disney's philosophy or, you know, Steve Jobs or whatever, it's like they're not going to put out like a worse version of what they did before. They're always trying to push and do better and have their name associated with the highest quality that you can. I mean, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to love what you do, but you can stand by it and say that, yeah, this is, you know, at this point in time, the best work that I'm capable of. So I don't see doing it any other way. Well, I think you're lucky because you might have that CEO's mind to some mm -hmm. degree, which comes with a certain amount of discipline sure. and kind of um, organization where I think rock and metal specifically, I think it's so much derived from the idea of youthful right. kind of insanity. So that's why it tends like so many bands, they'll have that maybe four or five record stretch, usually when they're in their twenties or thirties where they're yeah. that fire and vigor. And it's interesting, uh, watching that the new Beatles documentary get back. I am dying to see it. I've heard okay. such great things. I, I really want to see that. Well, I know you'll love it because yeah. it's, I I'm actually surprised it's getting so much buzz because it's so literally like watching a band work on stuff. Like if you're not really into it, it could probably be kind of boring. It'd be boring. So, right. Because it's so matter of fact, there's no uh, voiceover. There's no interviews. You're mm -hmm. literally just watching them work. And but there's this idea, I think, that why is it certain works or like certain directors, right, where it's their their best run is during this this time frame. Yeah. So I, th yeah. You know, I, th I think I just think that's more common. So I don't know if it's necessarily a matter of like effort. It's just magic. 
right? Sometimes, yeah, the, that's true. Sometimes the, the creative flow, right? Could the Beatles have kept doing that for thirty more years? I don't know. Maybe it was you meant don't know. to be, right? In that Absolutely. And even thing. even I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. Um, even you know, having said what I said, it does like it doesn't guarantee that it's going to be the greatest thing you've ever done because there is that magic component, you know, that why do people like certain periods of music from a band than others when you can argue that it's a, another period was better and somebody could say it was, you know, so it's, it is subjective and there is that, that magic component. And, and also from what you were saying before, you know, what I was just describing isn't very rock and roll really, you know, there's a certain like dysfunctionality that like, <laughs> part of the package. Along with, yeah, yeah, it's part of the package. And to sit here and like say, like you said, the kind of CEO mentality, like this is how we're going to do things and it's going to be better than the last. It's not very common, but I don't know. It, it's just the kind of makeup of, uh, of Dream Theater and the way I approach things. But the Beatles thing, you know, getting getting back <laughs> to get back. <laughs> um, what I think, and I haven't watched it, but what I'm so interested in, in it is, and what's so fascinating is just, you're, you know, how many times have people said they would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when somebody was writing a certain song? Well, you, you are, I mean, you're sitting there, like, from what I've heard, it's like, there's like toying around and it's like, let it be, you know? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a a clip that's going around and it's literally uh, Paul putting together, like, get back like literally him yeah he just he has the chord progression right and he's just he's just riffing on vocal ideas and it's right just, and boom it kind of happened but one of the things they're like oh they wrote and recorded all these songs in 14 days not totally true mm-hmm. they definitely they brought in songs right so like, right so so usually it's like john will come in and he has the song and he's like teaching them like oh it's d to a and and as as they're going so they brought a lot of stuff in which is but then there's this one section I'm just in the first episode, and I know yeah. I don't know if people care about this if they've seen this, but this was blowing me away. And it's just John on the piano, mm-hmm. and he's just one after another shitting out all time classics, like <laughs> before they're like known, right? And, before they're right, but but they were a lot of the songs they they wrote for this or had for this ended up on Abbey Road as well. So gotcha. it's like so you're just like this is not even fair, right? Like it makes right. no sense. You're like, so that's what what I think about just an artist being at this like peak, almost like an athlete, right? Like yeah. you'll never see an athlete as good as they are in their prime quote sure. unquote. But but I don't think but I don't think music music is that way. And I think you know, your guys' album is a is a good example of that. And that's why I was saying I think it, it is more of the outlier than it is the norm right. because it it is hard to do, you know, because half of it is is right is chemistry right do you like the people you're involved in the band with are you just right. si- are you just sick of that guy do you right. not have go ahead sorry no that happens with bands too that's part of it too why things kind of fall apart or get less you know if if it's not a group of people that you enjoy you know being creative is a very sort of intimate process as you can see and to get back you know <laughs> sessions it's if, if you don't like the people you're with i mean i guess sometimes that can create some uh some good tension in music, but you know, are you going to want to continually interact with that person on a creative level? Like probably not if you really hate each other. Yeah. You know? and, so that's but, part of it too. And that's probably even rarer for people to yeah. have relationships that are healthy and continuous and all that. Um, I kind of wanted to just talk a little bit about the, the sub genre. You guys might be 
the kings of, or maybe <laughs> maybe share the title with Tool. I don't know. I don't know who who's at the at the top of that that heap. Um, but um, are you completely comfortable um, kind of being a, a I guess a flag bearer of that genre, a progressive, whatever that means to you? Yeah, I, I have no problem with that. You know, my my reasoning is that when I was younger and kind of forming like my musical identity and latching on to what I liked and what would eventually be the kind of music I wanted to create, you know, it kind of got boiled down. This is sort of a simplification, but <clears throat> it kind of got boiled, boiled down to me, like, you know, being a metalhead and loving, you know, Metallica and Ozzy and, and whatever else was going on at the time. But also just really, you know, my ear catching like at the time Prague that was generally UK based, you know, yes, Pink Floyd, Genesis, and especially um, at a Canada rush, you know. Yeah. And so somehow, you know, I kind of gravitated towards, OK, I like this complex. It's still rock music. It's in the rock genre. It's, it's not jazz. It's not classical. I like this complex music. I like the fact that these bands are doing songs with multiple parts and sections. And some of the songs are like 20 minutes long. And, you know, there's all these solos and it's the music is complicated, but I love the sound of metal guitar and, you know, shredding. And, you know, there's nothing quite like Metallica's master of puppets when you put on battery, you know, like I love that too. So combining the two, Prague and metal and, you know, calling dream theater and this genre prog metal totally makes sense to me. You know, I do remember uh, back then when we got together in the early stages of the band and started to kind of write this sort of music, there wasn't that genre like listed yet. There was no prog metal. <laughs> so it was, it's interesting over the years, how that kind of became a thing and then became a part of like, the Prague family tree <laughs> and all the different offshoots, like you mentioned tool. Um, and, and there's so many different bands that could, could be considered in that world, but sound very different from one another. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, and the, you putting it that way, it's kind of interesting to me because I'm a little younger. So I always grew up with prog metal Right. I never even, I guess, distinguished the two, and you put it that way. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course, it was prog right. rock, and then you know, you you're one of the purveyors, if not the purveyor, I'm sure, with bands like uh, you know, Fate's Warning and yeah, Fate's Queen, yeah, at the right. time that right, yep, at the time that when when we were kind of coming around, there was Fate's for sure, they were part of that, uh, Queensryche, um for sure. I mean, Rage for Order is definitely a, a prog metal album in my eyes. Obviously, Mind Crime. Um, but then there was a band called Watchtower out of Texas, yeah. the Jarzombek, uh, Ron Jarzombek. And, and uh, you know, it, it's they were doing some crazy stuff, but there was sort of like you kind of knew who the, the bands were. And it's a big world and there's probably tons of others, you know, in Italy and other places that we didn't know about. But in their little circle, it, like I said, it wasn't a genre, really. Like nobody was really coining it prog metal, you know. Well, it's, it's or I call it, you know, th thinking man's metal. Yeah, right, I remember right. I got I uh I won tickets to see you guys play at the Birch Hill nightclub. Oh my god! And I remember I was 
but I didn't know what it was. And it turns out it was an acoustic performance. Oh, right. It, it might have been, was it like an album release or something? Or some, am I yeah, something some else? kind of like some promo. special event. Yeah. yeah I, I got it through like WSU and I got, so I was disappointed because I wanted the full oh, face, man. face melting. <laughs> you know, I was a little too young to really appreciate the acoustic experience. But one thing I remember it about the Dream Theater crowd, it, stu- it stood out. It was like one, it was lots of, like everyone just seemed to have, good smelling hair like the men had like they brushed their hair <laughs> they brushed their hair all right you right. know a fair amount of ponytails and and like dudes coming to shows just with like button up shirts these were men with jobs all right i love it i love it it's so funny <laughs> and, it, and it and it's it stood out to me as being like I said this it the a little more sophisticated a little yeah. more um you know just a, a different kind of class of of metalhead and it you know, and through the years, you know, being kind of me as a musician, kind of playing with those uh, that genre, but also being a fan of bands like Meshuggah, bands like Opeth, and seeing it the the yeah. genre grow right and become this this uh, totally different thing. And even with my old band, God forbid, being the type of being a quote unquote guitar band, where a lot of your fans end up being other musicians. Exactly. Yeah. You know, is that is that something you know? I mean, someone is who's has a great, super diehard fan base over I don't even know how many years. Um, is that something you like about your fan base, or or do you do you think you guys get a, a good blend of musicians and non musicians? Well, I think that you're definitely on. You know, you hit on the nose that most of the the audience is made up of musicians for for sure. That's it's been that way from the beginning. You know, that's kind of the element of of our style of music, like I said earlier, that's like esoteric where you're going to, it's going to appeal to a certain amount of people who are into that kind of thing and into the challenge that that presents. And, and it's, it, it's something that they want to do. So you'll find that in jazz music and, you know, uh, in, in deeper kind of music where you're appealing to an audience where it's almost like it's this mutual back and forth learning type of thing. You know, it's like it, it engages a certain part of your brain that makes you want to see that because of the response you get as a fellow player. Um, so there's a huge component of that. And then at the same time, our audience has grown to where there are a lot of people who just are music lovers and like the songs and love coming to the shows. Uh, and that's great as well. The, the thing I'll, I'll say about our audience that I love is that because of the kind of music we, we write and, and the work that we put into it and all the nerdy details and Easter eggs and stupid time signature things we do, because it's so we're so invested, we're playing to people who are going to get all that stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of neat. You know, it's, it's a great audience. It's not just like, in general, I don't think we have a lot of passive listeners where it's kind yeah. of on in the background. It's kind of like they're engaged. And, and we make records they sound very old-fashioned but we make records with that in mind uh kind of like when i was younger and i'd put on dark side of the moon and it would be an event and i'd shut the lights out and i'd listen to that like i was watching a movie we make records and present them artistically in the whole package with that in mind so we're still like old school like you get this you're gonna make an event like movie night and listen to the album i know that's very anti what you know the current day and age we're in with streaming and you know singles and quick listening and 
you know, but we still kind of romanticize about that. So we make music like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's a testament to just the relationship you've built with your fan base. Yeah. Because, you know, you're just preparing for this, going in, you know, checking out Spotify numbers, which are really great. Like, it's not, like I said, you guys, if you were just look at the numbers, it does not seem like you're a niche band. You're right. up there with a lot of the, the, the bigger bands in metal in general. Right. And, you know, you look at the venues you guys play and, you know, Dream Theater is a very big band, but like it's, for some reason, it seems like in this, this genre, whether it's Tool, whether it's Mastodon, that those fans, man, they are locked in and they want absolutely the, they want the vinyl and they want they you know you know if it's a concept record they want to get into the story and and it's a very engaged audience which is if you're a band that's the that's the audience everyone wants that right that's the best kind of a, of of audience to have and you're absolutely right engaged is a perfect word for it you know and it's like even like, you know, super things we're talking about the album cover and the boots and like people will, you know, when I talked to Hugh Syme about that and why are there boots there and a kid standing on there? Oh, they belong to the giant in sleeping giant. And on this page, he's in the background. Like, you know, people will get all those little things we're sticking in. So you, the audience is engaged and it's, it's awesome. I love it. So I wanted to ask like kind of a question about back in the day and, and, and getting started. Yeah. Um, and and for you guys, it was kind of, you kind of came out at this like very odd time, right? Late 80s going into the 90s where yeah. genres were shifting, what was cool was coming in, coming out. But you guys had a legitimate hit song, mm-hmm. right? Pull Me Under, which I'm sure I heard it on the radio or maybe I played on the radio, but it was big on MTV. And yeah. it kind of, in a way, I think gave the band a leg up. Right, because you had something that a normal person, right, like, and, and a lot of bands kind of uh, benefited from that from that era, right? Just being able to get on MTV and get um, ahead of that. I mean, do, do you think that's something that kind of stands out about your band that you can be niche, but you, like I said, it's a legitimate fucking hit, right? right I mean, that's right. kind of a, a a feather in your cap to some degree. It is. I mean, first of all, the the way that that happened makes absolutely no sense to me at all. It, it, it definitely falls into the category, like you said, of, be, of giving us a leg up because when something like that happens, you know, as much as you, you want to be, you know, some sort of like cool underground thing, you, you cannot deny, you know, the, the level of exposure on a broad commercial level, like things that radio and at the time MTV and even what we talked about earlier, Grammys, things that are more mainstream that more people are going to hear than just the people in your immediate audience that gives you a leg up. And if you could, you know, back up the goods, you know, back it up with, uh, with the quality of what you're doing, then it's even better. So we did have that leg up. Um, we got our, our first gold record from that. It happened. Um, images came out in 92, um, the eighties, which to me, was like the greatest period of music, you know, when I think about like, for me personally, I know everybody will argue, you know, all of the incredible Rush albums and Maiden albums and Metallica and Ozzy and, you know, (laughs) Satriani and Vi and all, you know, all the stuff that I love was all in that. So, and, and also you had all the hair metal 
bands and stuff and on MTV that was that was the commercial form of music but that kind of like just edged out and then by 92 that was not cool anymore you know so then it was all about Nirvana Pearl Jam uh Alice in Chains and and grunge so and you were just for, getting started <laughs> we were just getting started so night so for pull me under to come out which was like an eight minute song or so and actually be a an actual rock radio hit was just so bizarre like why <laughs> had nothing well, to do with the style that was out well, and no, it, but it, I, yeah go ahead sorry no but um what speaks to me about it is that despite all this super high level technical acumen you guys actually know how to write a tune like you know like you could take the the just the basics of that song play it on piano have a vocal and right. it's all there right right like that's a a basic it seems basic but it's actually an elite skill of yeah. actually song craft um that any person can hear that and go that's a great song and yeah. connect to it I mean, that's to me is really ultimately what sets the band apart uh, to this day, which is I think it's this weird thing, right, where you are, you know, objectively one of the best guitar players alive and can do all this stuff and you're surrounded by people who can do all this stuff. And then there, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, metal music and technical playing is very sports oriented, right? Who's yeah, the fastest? Sure. Who's the best? It's very competitive. Yeah. But ultimately, the stuff that seems like it's you know now that i'm getting older i feel like writing a great song seems like the hardest thing in the world like right it, it, do you know what i'm <laughs> saying like now I'm i like, do i'm like it's like this um rubik's cube i'm trying to solve and it, I, it'll like keep me up at night like I, like why can't i do this better why can't like it's so i've completely changed around that but you you guys can do both which i think well, is pretty crazy first of all thank you for the many compliments that you just <laughs> gave me i appreciate that um, yeah, but the proof's and, in the pudding, man. I, I mean, no, I, I appreciate it, and and I'm I, thank you for bringing that up because you 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 said it so well. And like to me, the genre or the style is like picture that as being like the packaging that the thing came in. You know, like yeah. the fact that we're playing a certain style and it's complex and there's odd time signatures and everybody plays a lot of notes. That's kind of like the packaging. But when it comes down to it, you know, music. It, people relate to music on an emo emotional level. That's what draws somebody in, you know? So for me growing up, all the music that I loved and the bands that I loved, yes, I, I loved Randy Rhodes and tried to play his solos. And yes, I was impressed by the drumming of Neil Peart on every Rush album, but it was the music that reached me on an emotional level you know that made me want to listen to it over and over again that made me want to dive into the lyrics or you know ha have a certain lyric be like a quote that i wrote in in a book or or something or you know they became soundtracks of that period of my life and mm. you know that's not something that happens because you're playing a lot of notes or you know or the opposite a few notes it's it has to do with the emotional connection of the song. So when I got into this, that was very much on my mind. I didn't, I didn't want to just like write vehicles for practicing my licks. <laughs> I wanted to write songs, you know, they happened to be in the package of being like prog metal, but the song always had to be there. 
And, you know, thankfully with Dream Theater music, you can strip it down to piano or guitar and sing it. And the song is there. And that's so, so important. And my favorite bands are all like that. You know, yeah. you could take a yes. So, you know, John Anderson could could take a guitar and, and sing close to the edge and it'll sound beautiful, even though it's not the whole ensemble of yes. You know? Yeah. And it's uh, it's what I call it, not losing the plot. Right. It's yeah. like sometimes you can get so insular that you're like, you, you, you forget the big picture. Which you is do. Like, and to, to me, the telltale sign of that is that I don't want to listen to the music again, whatever that music is that I'm listening to. Like I might be initially sort of like taken aback or impressed by the technical part of it or the sound of it. But then it's sort of like, I don't, I'm never going to put like, listen to that again, as opposed to I'm doing, you know, I'm going for a long drive. I'm going to the gym I'm going for a run. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing something in my yard or whatever. I want to listen to this music. And that's that emotional connection. It has to be there, you know, because otherwise it's just going to be, it's like a weird brain exercise and you don't want it to always be that way. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast. A songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. It's it's funny even just talking about this like made me realize that it's kind of weird that quote unquote progressive music is considered niche because all of the biggest rock bands are super progressive. Yeah, Metallica, Black Sabbath, The Beatles, Queen, Muse, right? Like it's kind of it's like it's this weird thing where the you know maybe a producer or record label always tell you make this shorter, don't do this, don't do that. but it seems like to some degree the those who are willing to take the most chances i guess it's high risk high reward right i guess it really is <laughs> but like you said you know what's more proggy than uh 
Bohemian Rhapsody, you know? Exactly. It's like, and it's the it's, biggest song. But or even, you know, Stairway to Heaven, right? That's yeah, pretty- exactly. That stuff is all it all has the the nature of uh elements of Prague for sure. But you know, labeling stuff is it's a funny thing, you know, it makes it fall into a certain category and then it's not cool and you can't call it that. You know, yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I feel like we should change the these uh the phraseology is is limiting, right. right? It's just more like I guess maybe a better way I look at it is almost like adventurous music. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Versus, I guess, more regimented music. I don't know what the. It's also <laughs> yeah. It, it's also like the, and and I guess I have to be careful with how I say this because I don't want to discredit anybody's art at all. But it's sort of like music where the art is at the forefront, yeah, as opposed to music where the the uh sellability is at the forefront i mean that's a real thing obviously you know there's certain music that's written purposely for sellability to create a certain you know a certain thing commodity and then there's there's just like music that's written with the art at the forefront it doesn't mean that that music can't be artistic and poppy it absolutely certainly damn well can but I think that the difference with the bands that you mentioned, you know, whether it was Zeppelin or Sabbath or, or Queen or, or, you know, the, the who or whoever we're talking about, there is that, you said it before, that adventurous forward art forward thing, you know, where it's not all about, we're just trying to make something that will sell the best. Cause that's a certain kind of thing. That's a certain pocket of, of writing, you know, and that's even hard to do. So I don't claim I could do it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it's, yeah. you can go down a lot of rabbit holes with this stuff, which, I, really which I love can. to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? I try, I really, really try not to be, maybe when I was younger, I was like this, but I try not to be judgmental about music. You know what I mean? Or about people's like intention or ability. It's like, just like people are trying to make music and that's, what's cool. You know? <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So I wanted to ask you a few uh, guitar questions because, you yeah. know, you know, hey, why not? <laughs> you got Petrucci here. We got to talk a little bit about the guitar. All right. Um, you know, so you're like I said, you're you're one of the few people. I mean, I, like I to some degree, I don't know what it's like to be you because it's it the sports analogy in music doesn't work that well all the time because right. it's not a meritocracy. Right. It's uh, subjective on right. who you think is better, but I'm gonna keep it real. You're one of the best. All right, let's just we're just gonna, we're gonna put it out there. Everyone knows it. And how does that feel? Do you just walk around like walking like Prince, you know, with a good swagger and it's like I'm the shit? Do you know what I can do in this guitar? I'm I'll shred your I'll melt your face with a guitar, motherfucker. You ever you ever just be feeling yourself? <laughs> oh my god, that's so fun. Well, first of all, you know, I I. I that would be pretty awesome if I was like that, I think. But I, I, you know, sunglasses always, inside. All right. That's the key right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think that let, let's put it this way. I think that there's a certain amount of, of confidence and ego that's kind of necessary to, to do things, to push things forward. Right. To even so, make the attempt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you you can't say that LeBron doesn't have, you know, some sense of, as humble as he may be, like there is a drive, yeah, you know, an ego part of it, which is healthy and fine. But there's also, there has to be that realism thing, you know, and for me, 
you know, I, I don't walk around thinking I'm the shit <laughs> a, at all. Like, I, if anything, I'm like, I'll be exposed for what I really am. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the you imposter know, like, syndrome. Kinda. Right, exactly. Like, it's like I'm still trying. I mean, I still practice. There are still things that uh, are difficult for me to do that I'm trying to accomplish. You know, I still have the worries about certain sections of music that I may have yeah. to play live. You know, I still watch all of this immense talent that's out there on YouTube and Instagram with players, you know, a lot of them incredibly young that are doing stuff way beyond yeah. that. I'm just so like impressed by and like, Oh my God, that's like, you know, imagine if I played like that when I was eight, like that, I didn't even start playing when I was eight. I started when I was 12. Um, so, so I'm, I think I'm in my place. You know, I think I'm, I'm not walking around, I don't walk around like, uh, I suck, you know, <laughs> Eeyore, woe is me. But I also don't walk around like, you know, I'm the shit and there's nothing else I have to do. I walk around like, listen, man, you want to keep this up? <laughs> you better practice your ass off. But, you know, it, well, does, uh, it, it doesn't work that any other way. You know? I have a new nickname for you. The LeBron James of metal. All right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, that's the awesome. king, <laughs> the king from Long Island. <laughs> that's it. Right? <laughs> but I, but I know I was going to ask about what you kind of answered a, a little bit uh, with your kind of uh, practice routine. Yeah, is that something that has evolved through the years in terms of? I imagine there's just a certain amount of maintenance, right? There is. In terms of there staying, totally is that's a great word a, for it at a certain level, but. Uh, and again, I guess, I don't know why these sports analogies. Uh, I guess it's just it's just too apt. No, they're that, very relevant. They're totally but, relevant. But yeah. no, but we could see it with sports, right? Where the way athletes look now and the way yeah. they train and what they know about, uh, you know, uh, diet and all that stuff, and you see this forward progression. And it's the same thing with music, right? Where the generation that grew up on you already had a different base level. Yes, and you know, I know kids. Their first thing they learned was like Dragon Force, and I'm like, Are right, you exactly, yeah. So, and then you have YouTube and all of these these resources. So it is a thing that's 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 being pushed forward. So, are you then implementing newer techniques that oh, this artist is uh, innovating here, and 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 so you have this element of keeping a base level, but also expanding. Yeah, I, I mean, yes and no. I, I, here's the way I can describe. There's a couple of different ways. One is if, if you think about, you know, if you go back to like the 60s and electric guitar, when electric guitar became a thing was really the 50s. It's not that long ago, you know, and the guitar gods of the 60s and early 70s, you know, if you're thinking about your um, Jimmy Pages and Clapton's and stuff like that, you weren't seeing a tremendously high amount of technical like uh ability and level in rock necessarily mm. it, it it was in classical you saw it all the time it's in jazz it's in i mean gypsy jazz and django and stuff that he was doing you know way back you know these guys are shredding on acoustic you know and classical is the most complicated stuff you can ever do but in rock as far as rock guitar shredding th there was a certain bar a certain level that we knew as like the greatest but then you know, Hendrix came along and guys came along and started to become more technical. And, you know, by the 80s, you had Satriani and everybody was like, that was the level. And then it's just, then YouTube, YouTube came out and 
you didn't have to guess anymore how something was done. You just saw how somebody did it and you learned it. So you could learn how to play eruption when you were, you know, seven, like if you wanted to, <laughs> right. If you played yep. guitar and you're a little kid, that's, Oh, you know, when I was learning guitar, I didn't know when I heard eruption, I had no idea what the hell that was. <laughs> I didn't know what Eddie was doing. I didn't know he was tapping. I didn't know there was a phaser on it. Now it's just like, there it is. That's how it's done. So the bar has been raised so high where now the technical proficiency level of rock electric guitar, it's like, it's kind of like at a minimum, you have to be at a certain level. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you can't, you can't be like mediocre anymore. Yeah. I'm well, saying you could be whatever you want, but I'm saying <laughs> to, to talking, talking about, you know, if, if you want to sort of be at that level where you're pushing things forward. So Having said all that, you know, I, I look at my own playing and my own progression, kind of like look at a, a bodybuilder before they get into it and they train a certain way and get to a point where, okay, now they're this bodybuilder and they're competing and now that's their life. And so it, it's not all of a sudden one day they wake up and they're wimpy. Yeah. You know, if you think about the guys, like they live their whole lives that way. And so, you know, that might, they're not necessarily competing anymore, but they're still in the gym working their asses off. And that's that maintenance part. So I, I picture myself as like, I have to do that as a minimum. I have to be the bodybuilder in the gym on the guitar, making sure I'm maintaining my level. Um, and then whatever else is out there, as far as this bar that I talked about being raised so high, I'm going to find out what's going on and I'm going to see, you know, what else I can incorporate um, to try to push myself self further but all of it what it all means is that you got to practice yeah you know because it's not quite like an athlete there is, but there is a small athletic component to where whether it's your left hand or your right hand if you're playing guitar at a certain proficiency level those muscles have to be worked you know consistently or else you just can't do it you know, yeah. you can't do, you can't expect to, you know, if I were to take off guitar for a year and then do a tour and play, try to play the title track from our new record, <laughs> I'd be screwed. Like I'd literally <laughs> probably get tendonitis or like, you know, pull a ligament or break a finger. I don't know. You know, yeah. <laughs> so that maintenance part, it's so, so important. And it just, that's just practice. You got to put in the consistent time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I've had the good fortune to be around some some great players and and you see the people at the top. It's almost like to me, it's there's some people where it's not even that they're so regimented. They're just mm -hmm. so obsessed yeah. with the with the craft that you just so can't, true. you can't so true. pull you can't pull them away. They're no. just like they're always working on something and playing along to something and, and you're like and and I think there's that difference between great performers or great someone's great at something and then that that little elite right that the one percent of one percent of one percent and it's probably and they only might be one percent better but that one percent right. is the difference between you know finishing 10th in the olympics and being yeah. first right exactly and, and to to anyone that that the one who's 10th is one of the fastest people in the world but they don't, right. they don't take home the gold i know i <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're really good at this because you keep like nailing it. You keep saying exactly the thing that's, 
that that nails it. I mean, all the guys in Dream Theater are as you described, where you you can't pull anybody away from their instruments. Like, and it's everybody still has the fun and joy. Like, there's nothing greater. I know to Mike Mangini than like sitting down behind his kit and like getting ready for a practice or John Mayung, like you never see him without his bass. You know, all you have to do is go on Jordan's social media and like, he just, he's posting himself playing, like he just playing piano like all day, you know? And it, it's, I, I have the same mentality. Like I'm drawn to it. It's just something that's part of my DNA. You can't escape it. You can't put it down. You, you don't get bored of it. You don't get sick of it. You know, it just, it's like, you have to do it. It's like eating. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, know, why I, that's, say, that's why I say it's called playing music, not working music. All right. And, right. Yeah. And it's the, no, but it's yeah. the fun that keeps you there. Right. The, it's just whatever. And then obviously there's work that is part of it and regimented right. and, yeah, and that's all that the stuff. Part. But if it yeah. feels, I always feel like if it feels like work, work, you probably wouldn't be doing it. If it wasn't fun, if it wasn't, there's just a gratification of, Music when done well sounds good. And it does. It does. <laughs> you know, but I also, you know, I, I have to be realistic too. Like, I don't want to, you know, like come across like you're always looking forward to putting that work in because it's just, yeah. we keep making these analogies, but like how many times you don't want to go to the gym today? Sure. You know, but, but when you go and you do, you feel like a billion times better. So yeah. that's the discipline part that pushes yourself. So, so, so sometimes, you know, there's certain musical things that you do that are more interesting than others, you know, when you're writing music, when you're getting ready to record and there's some things like this maintenance stuff, you know, when you sit down, yes, there is an enjoyment to playing and shredding and practicing, but when you're sitting down for a practice session, there are those days where like, Oh man, you know, it's like that, but that's the discipline. And you sit down you start playing and then, you know, you love it and three hours go by. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you got to push through sometimes. I don't want to be unrealistic and be like, it's always, you know, every second of the day want to play guitar. But the, the thing that I notice about the kind of musicians that we're talking about is that there's a funny psychological thing as well. And it certainly happens to me where when you don't practice or you don't play or for whatever reason, something's going on in your life, you're traveling, you're doing, you have family events, something you just can't get to it, you know? Mm -hmm. You feel like weird. You definitely feel like almost a guilt, like a sense of guilt. It it I, I call it like a musical self-esteem. Like you feel like mm. your self-esteem is a little low because you're, you know, you didn't put in the time, you didn't practice. And it, it it's it's funny. And <laughs> you know, I can equate it like people who get into working out, and then when you skip a day, you're like, oh man. Or like let's say you're really like very disciplined to a diet or something yeah and then you've been traveling and you're eating like shit and you haven't been able to do it and you feel like your self-esteem of that thing kind of goes down the music you know and practicing is the same way like i always feel really weird if i can't get to it you know and, and maybe that's like obsessive but it's it's a common i think it's a common trait of the musicians that i know that that share that yes yeah, that fear of yeah. losing it or being yeah. behind the ball of going, yeah. hey man, you know, it, it keeps me up at night, you know, especially if I'm preparing for a gig like uh, yeah. I have a, I'm, I'm doing this thing, the wedding band with Robin Kirk from Metallica, and it's like 25 nice. songs. And it's, oh my God. You know, and it's a lot of 
you know, the metal stuff is we we pretty much have that the priests and the Sabbath, but it's right. all these weird funk songs with crazy arrangements and you know, and I'm I'm usually the one you know I I do my charts and I'm yeah you know just okay I'm listening you know always I got to go in prepared. My my biggest nightmare is showing up to rehearsal unprepared. I so. have literal literal nightmares about that. I'm sure you do as well. Oh, it's know? well my my nightmares. I mean, they were consistent just because I hadn't played a show in so long yeah. that you have this extra level of anxiety. You're like, Dude, can I still play a show? Am oh, I totally. still good? Am I... And uh, I mean, days in a row, can't find the stage. Or I'm on stage, don't have my cables, or I have the cables, but the amp... What it, but it's always like... It's I'm always missing... that anxiety. Yeah, I, yeah, I've had the dreams where I'm on stage and like we're, we're going into a song that I didn't prepare. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, it's a dream theater song, like from an album that I, I haven't listened to. And like, okay. And it's being counted off and I have literally no idea how to play it. <laughs> it's just going to start making noise. That's like the worst nightmare. Um, you know, at the other part too, there is a bit of an addiction to the, to the tactile and the physical feeling. Like when you, when you develop a skill and it takes some time and, and you get, sort of the feeling that it takes to make that skill happen. Um, it, it, that's a matter of like all these different things coming together, like your timing, the brain synapses, how it feels like it's almost like, uh, getting used to like riding on a, like horseback and getting the gallop, right? Like once you get that feel, it's a great, great feeling. (laughs) And if you, if you, uh, are away from that for too long, and then you go to do that thing again and you lost the the way it feels to be able to, that's another thing that that's the fear of losing too because there's a there is that certain physical like kind of snap that you need to be able to play certain things and you get that by like repetition and by having it locked in and sure. when you take time away and you skip the practice or you can't get to practice in days and you're like five days pass and you're like try to do the thing. You're like, why can't I do this thing that I was able to do five days ago? And then you have to kind of go back to the drawing board. That's another thing that makes it kind of gives you that guilty feeling, you know? Yeah. I also think for myself is when I first started playing guitar, I was, I didn't really know who I was. I was, you know, you're, you're going through puberty and you're figuring out what's going on. And it, it almost became like this, uh, like comfort blanket or something. Yeah. Where, it's like, I'll be at a party or something. And it's like, oh, there's an acoustic. And so it's like, oh, I'll hide behind the guitar and it'll become right. this thing that'll make me, I don't know, it, it, I feel a little, it like eases my mind. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's, ther- it's therapeutic for yeah, sure. Exactly. No doubt about it. No doubt. One thing I wanted to ask you about was this thing that you seem to be, I think, ahead of the curve on, which was kind of understanding I guess the idea that we're all our own brand. Yeah. Right. And you were someone with the instructional videos, with having signature equipment, you know, guitars, pickups, uh, what what have you. And even recently I saw on your website you have a, a whiskey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a um, whiskey and and an, another uh parlay outside of um well, music and, is a beard oil thing. Beard, beard oil, <laughs> uh, solo albums. Um, is this something that you always had in your mind that as a, a musician, y- you really have to be ambidextrous in terms of 
being ahead of the business side of it and being able to kind of monetize in, in different areas? Right. Well, I mean, there's a few things. First of all, I, I wasn't if uh, in the beginning, I, that, uh, that wasn't my mindset. Like I mm. didn't, really didn't know anything about that. And the endorsements that I got uh, early on were all because those were the instruments and things that I played and that Already. I liked and it turned into something. Um, I didn't realize really about branding. And I know that sounds so corporate, but it, it's important and, until, and I forgot who it was or what the situation was when somebody was talking about dream theater um, after we had a, a certain level of success and what it meant to what that name meant mm. and what the logo meant and, and how those things are kind of bigger sometimes than the individuals. And that kind of recognition is all, all what branding is about. And, and, and it's so important in longevity in like career minded thinking, you know? Um, so at some point I started to kind of, I've always been into gear. I've always been opinionated about gear and had ideas about what I wanted to do with certain, you know, it, well, if I had my say, I would do this differently. And so that got me into taking, um, being involved with companies like Ernie Ball, Music Man, Mesa Boogie, et cetera, and developing products that were new and innovative and that implemented, you know, all my silly sometimes thoughts. Why can't this be different? Could we have this? Could we have two EQs on instead of one? Why is there, is there only one? You know, <laughs> why is this piece on the guitar sharp? It hurts my hand. Can it be rounded? You know, I realized I was kind of like into design. Mm. And so as I got into design and worked with these companies and those products, you know, um, actually connected with other people that like, were like, I love this. This is cool. Why didn't anybody else think of that? Um, then I started to realize, okay, as important as the dream theater, you know, branding element is my own, my personal name, um, is equally, you know, if not in some ways more important to my own career, my, what I want to do just as far as my own legacy, as far as supporting my family as part, you know, and being able to continue to do this, um, for, for years to come. So that's when I started to really kind of focus on, on that. And, and I, I have to say too, it was also prompted by starting a solo career when I didn't really have one, when Joe Satrani asked me to do G3 for the first time and, and doing that. Uh, and then, you know, releasing solo albums and, and kind of getting into that whole world. So it definitely started at that point. It was like early 2000s. Um, but as far as the other things like, okay, well, what about outside of music teaming up with a beard oil company from the UK or a distillery in upstate New York, those kind of things happen very organically. I know that sounds like cliche, but in both those instances, there was a connection, even though they, they seem like not related worlds there is a musical guitar connection. And it's funny, the more I do this, the longer I live and, you know, it, you, you find like so many people play guitar. <laughs> so many people are into music and rock and metal that you'd never know. And like, 
you know, this beard oil company from the UK, there's guys there that are the dream theater fans, you know, and I was a customer of theirs and it started this, this connection, you know, the, the owner of uh, iron smoke distillery is a guitar player, Tommy Brunette, who was in modern English and, you know, is into like barbecue smoking, which is something I'm into. And you have this common interest and you start to think, well, those, these two things in some instances were never put together like music or a guitar player with fashion, you know, beard oil, men's products. And you start to think like, why? Like I was always like, how many guitar players and musicians have beards? <laughs> like, Quite a bit. Well, you know well, what I, I mean? Like, why was that never a thing? I mean, if you, and it's it just like, well, if you guys would ever like to do something together, I'm up for it. And then those relationships start. So, but I don't think those things would happen if that work in the branding, you know, wasn't there because the one of the reasons they want to work with you and connect with you, it's from what, what you and I said in the beginning of this is that the re name recognition where your name will connotate, okay, well, if they're putting out something, then it's going to be great, hopefully, you know, and that's, that's where that branding thing comes into play. Well, I mean, it's, I just think it's it's just really important. And anytime I have someone like you on the show and I see all that stuff, it's like, you just gotta be on top of it. You gotta be ahead of the curve. And obviously you you're you're in a um, elite subset of, of uh, players who are able to capitalize on that. But I always think it's, I, listen, I think, I always think the younger generation is always smarter and better. Yeah. And they always are thinking <laughs> about agree. things that we didn't think about. And totally. so, I'm, so I'm always, whether it's, but like I said, people uh, like yourself, you you were ahead of the curve on that, in my opinion, even whether it was on purpose or not. Right. It kind of fell into that. You know, I think I think what's important, though, in fact, I know what's important is that when you do these types of things, if you're able to have these opportunities to make them happen, they have to be legit and they have to be genuine. Like you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to connect with this company because they asked me and I never use their thing and I have nothing to do with it. That doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like it has to be something that you're passionate about and that whatever the product is or the company that you're a fan of theirs and what they do, because then when you talk about it and when your name is associated with it or your picture, it's like, you're proud of it. You know, it's like, I want people to try that bourbon because it's fucking awesome. <laughs> like, you know, it's not just like this stupid company and like, yeah, we'll do this. <laughs> it's like the real deal. I mean, it's like artisan distillers, you know, that are like freaking alchemists. You know, it's like, it's a whole thing I don't even get, you know, but it's like, you, ha you have, it has to come from a genuine place. Other, I think people see right through it if it doesn't, you know, and, and people will, as musicians, people will criticize you anyway. As, oh, now you have this. Now you have, why are you doing that? So you have to have, like, you have to be able to back it and yeah. be like, well, the reason I have it is because it's freaking awesome. <laughs> well, you're, you I mean, your signature guitar has become kind of just a, an industry standard, I think, for, a, I know so many guitar players that that use it, and it's, and it's great. Yeah. And I, I have your signature DiMarzio pickups in both my seven strings. Nice. Sh Love shout it. Out, shout out to DiMarzio. 
Um, Shout out to Larry DeMarzio. And yes, the sir. Whole, yeah, amazing. Yes, sir. Been using his pickups forever and ever and ever. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I just want to know what you need to sell. You know, maybe like a bowl to cry in for the guys like myself that can't grow giant man beards. <laughs> Uh, we need something because this is not fair. You know, we can't get the beard oil. We're just, we're suffering over here with our, you know, beta faces, you know, oh, you know, not right. able to, to sit on a, stand on a mountain like Odin with our. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have your own mountain backdrop. <laughs> no mountain backdrop. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're sitting in the shit here. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question. I'm, I'm going to let you go. And, and thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Yeah, um, no problem. We've heard for years, and I guess this is something that kind of comes and goes. Maybe it's a cycle about guitar being done or guitar fading to the background. Mm. Um, and maybe, you know, not to answer my own question, we were really lucky to see, and I guess, the, I, I don't say lucky, it was the, during the pandemic, obviously a terrible time. But yeah. one of the things, cool things out of that was people went home and everyone bought guitars and pianos and kind of uh rediscovered this stuff so like what's your vibe on where guitar sits i guess in pop culture in the mainstream is it is it been buried before its time where do you see that going in the next 20 years yeah well i i see it as alive and well and thriving i really do like you said more people over the last two years picked up instruments and were playing i mean i personally know guys that i didn't even know played yeah that that are recording now you know i'm like check out my new song i'm like i didn't even know you play guitar um so it 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 definitely the pandemic and people being home did prompt a whole sort of uh you know resurgence of just playing instruments for sure and guitar is the best one out there so why not uh and, and it's <laughs> guitar, you know, guitar guitar right that's right then it's portable um but uh, you know i i Listen, I listen, the music I listen to, whether it's, uh, and, and I don't listen to a lot of radio, but if I do, uh, or, or w wherever I am, if I'm in some place that's playing music, I'm hearing guitar all over the place. Yeah. You know, it, it's crazy. I, I mentioned Disney before, and I'm a big, you know, self-admitted Dis nerd, but when I go to the parks, I always think somebody over there must be a guitar player because I just hear guitar music coming out of the speakers as I'm walking through through the park so a, a constant jazz and classical and guitar driven music so <laughs> some somebody over there is a guitar player but anyway um yeah i don't think it's i don't think it's forgotten or lost uh i think that it's it's alive and well and if anything even more in the forefront than than it's ever been so i'm excited about it and, and not only that but man you know we talked about this earlier the level of ability and talent that is just out there and just coming out, um, you know, from, from players uh, that are young, you know, boy, girl, doesn't matter. It's like, it's, it's insane. It's literally <laughs> like, it's, I, I don't, sometimes I just don't believe it. I'm like, uh, going through Instagram. I'm like, who's this person? It's like, what <laughs> have you checked out that uh buried alive it's no like, but buried it? it's b-e-r like a berry like okay a, like a fruit it's this yeah. it's this guy just and uh -huh. he's he uses all these 
he has this crazy stuff on his guitar, like, but it's stuff where people have accused him of faking it. Wow. Because it's, but it's super inventive. That's so super, cool. Super unique. And what's great about this current era is it's the time for the introverts to shine, right? People right. that may, may never have wanted to really start a band or go out and do shows and they can put up stuff on TikTok or YouTube yeah. and make their own career and connect how they want to connect. And it's um, democratized uh, yeah. where, you know, in those spaces, it's more often than not, the cream does rise to the top, right? If you're good, if you have right. something that's compelling and you make content that, uh, Get that people connect to it'll it'll kind of you know it'll rise on its own for the most it part will. it seems like it will and what an awesome thing to have you know when i think about like just just taking dream theater in, in our early stages when we were called majesty and we you know went to berkeley college of music and then we dropped out to like have our band you know and try, we were trying to make it and we made our demo and it's like the only way for people to hear that demo is we had to like physically mail it to like you know <laughs> the UK. So somebody yeah. could maybe write. And like to, to think about young people having the opportunity to do something creative in their home and just have it be out there to the world, you know, instantly it's crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So, you know, we're seeing, because of that, we're seeing like all the talent that around the world, it's just, you know, it's ridiculous. But yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, listen, John, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a big treat for me. You've been in my life for so long. I've I've stolen music. I've I, there's a part in this song, this God forbid song, Living Nightmare. I took that from a Fatal Tragedy. You can check that out. You go, All right, you know, cool. I'll check it out. <laughs> I'll buy you a beer sometimes or some whiskey. That's good. <laughs> I, I owe you <laughs> no one. Um, no man, like I, I toured with this band Maytal, and uh, we actually opened for Queensrÿche. I don't know if you you know Maytal Cohen. She's a female drummer, kind of famous uh, on YouTube. I, I probably should and. But anyway, she she got famous for doing covers, okay. and and the band we we opened up for Queensrÿche, and I I made the band cover "Pull Me Under." And oh, that's over, awesome! And it that's... went over like gangbusters. Oh, that's and, so cool! But here's what was really cool, at least I thought was cool, was we didn't have a keyboard player, so basically we divvied up the keyboard parts. So I Very did all cool. the keyboard solos, and the other guitar player, Travis Montgomery, you're his favorite guitar player, so he played all your stuff like you know. Like it was from the God himself. Oh my God. You know, that that's so awesome to hear. And it's like, I, I see some people play dream theater music and I'm like, well, that's better than I ever played it. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was starting to think like, maybe we could do like, um, you know, stunt, stunt double bands. Or, or yeah. you do that thing like, you know, like the Trans-Siberian Orchestra where you have like the B team. Right, they're, right. They're exactly. out playing. Yeah. And you just get get the uh, the the Dream Theater Junior. That's the it. Un, the understudies, and then when you feel like hanging it up, they can go out and and, and make money for Daddy. You know, I love it. I, that, <laughs> I think I think that sounds like a plan. <laughs> franchise this shit. Yeah, franchise. Fra franchise Dream Theater. That's hysterical. <laughs> that's well, really funny. They say that's what Kiss is eventually going to do. For, so, so I so right. I hear. So we'll see. Right. We'll but, be the the Papa Johns of of uh, prog metal. Exactly. Exactly. Well, <laughs> well, John, you're killing it. The the new Grammy nominated album, A View from the Top of the World. There's a new Liquid Tension Experiment album out, right? Yeah, Liquid there. Tension Experiment three came out, uh, and that was the first time we got together in 22 years. So insane. That was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. 
Well, it's good, great seeing you, 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 uh, Mike playing back together. That's amazing. Yeah, we had a blast. My Mike, he played on my solo album. When I, I did. Uh, it's called Terminal Velocity. Oops. Oh, um, and that amazing. that came out uh, fifteen years after my first one. And, uh, and Mike incredible. played on that. So that was fun re- reuniting with him. Well, you've been, been very busy the last Very busy. Years. Yeah. I'm not sitting around during this pandemic. Can't do it. That's <laughs> awesome. Oh, I have one more question. I forgot to ask yeah. you. I, I, see, I would have been remiss to, to forget this one. Yeah. So I need to know about um, the tri-state uh, rivalry, you know, between Dream Theater and Symphony X, Jersey Versus Long Island, okay, the beef in the streets. I'm from New Jersey, so if yeah. it goes down, I got to pick up, like, a pitchfork, and I got to come after you, bro. It's oh, Jersey. man, no, we're in trouble. So what's what's the deal? Like, who's 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 winning a fight? Who do you think? Well, it's in New York all the way. I'm not going to, Okay, you know, we, we all don't right. have to play that game. All right, if we see each other in the streets, can be like that scene in Anchorman, you know? Yeah, <laughs> There's only room for one progressive metal band. That has the- to be one of the funniest things ever filmed that fight in anchorman listen i still say como oh stan bitches you know, probably <laughs> three times a week so. i love it i love it all right john listen you have a great week thank you so much good luck with everything i hope you win a grammy i appreciate that thank you all right and great talking see, to you yeah hopefully i'll see you on the road or somewhere around this whole crazy place all right you have a great day absolutely you too cheers bye-bye
So you just heard Answering the Call, track two from Dream Theater's 2021 Grammy-nominated album of You from the Top of the World. Hope you enjoyed the song. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with John. What a, just an absolute pleasure, man. I just, he's just very personable and easy to talk to and just so much good stuff in there from from him. So all thanks to John for being on the show. It's, it's one of my heroes. So I was just, as, as you could tell, I was reveling in in the, the experience and, and he just made it really easy for me and that was just fantastic. So, and I can't wait to see him again and see him play live and all that stuff. And that record really is fucking badass. These, it's, I don't know how they're so consistent, man. They are just, they're just, they are on top of the world. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> as well, they uh, deserve to be. And they just released actually another live album um, or like an EP. What is it called? Here, I'm, I got, it's called Lost. Well, let me look this up. Lost Not Forgotten Archives. When Dream and Day Reunite Live. So that's out. Ooh, I know some of my some of my good favorite songs on there. I gotta check that out. And then also, we had to actually cut cut this piece out because it wasn't announced yet. Uh, John has a plugin signature plugin series from Neural DSP. If you're a guitar player producer, everyone's been raving about this thing. So definitely go check that out. I actually need to get it myself because. Feeling, I've heard some of the tones and it's pretty, pretty damn amazing. So yeah, he wasn't allowed to talk about that when we first had the interview, but that has since come out. So anyway, uh, thank you to John. Good times. I'm in the midst of, yeah, getting some new interviews together. I've been so wrapped up with Bad Wolves World and kind of that post-holiday malaise where there's not too much going on in the, in the industry and I'm, I'm just i'm setting some stuff out got a lot of irons in the fire which is very exciting i'm, I'm definitely going to have some good guests coming up i don't want to announce anything too uh prematurely but but yeah uh, i've got some good stuff coming up so anyway thank you everyone for checking out the show always appreciate it and i gotta go walk the dog got it mamba's out Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>